I'd like to uh, really reemphasize this 30 days of, of prayer. I think that this is uh, something that is very important for us as a congregation and as a district because we're going to face some serious challenges and some uh, very important decisions. And um, you know, I, I want to I want to pledge that we will be as transparent and as open as we possibly can with the congregation on the decision-making process. Uh, this, this is something that affects all of us. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll make a pledge to uh, be here in the mornings. Uh, you know, I, I take Fridays off, but I'm here Monday through Thursday and Saturday mornings. Anybody who wants to, you know, if you'd like to come in and, and pray uh, and discuss any of this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be here. Please come in. We need, we need prayer. We need to, we need to humble ourselves and seek God's face in this. So, anyway, happy Mother's Day. Uh, what a, what a special day. You know, I'd, I'd like to recognize and honor all of the mothers who, who are among us. Uh, many self-sacrificing, hard-working individuals here who, who truly care about your children and you care about the, the next generations and you care about your grandchildren and probably some great-grandchildren. I don't know if, if we have any great-great-grandmothers here, but if, if so, we honor you too. And I'd like to talk this morning about priorities. You know, we, uh, when we establish our priorities, that has a huge impact on, on how we live our lives and how we live our lives has a huge impact on those we love. Uh, how, how we order our, our priorities uh, has a big effect not only on us personally, but on, on everybody around us. And, uh, you know, there's really no way to tell what the long-term impact of how we live and how we conduct our lives. No, imp- uh, we, no way to tell what that impact is, is going to be. Very long-reaching uh, impact. You know, this is something that applies to all of us, but, you know, especially since it's Mother's Day, I'd like to uh, emphasize uh, mothers, the appeal to mothers to put first things first, to turn your children's hearts to God, helping them to put first things first. Uh, there, there was an article I read in uh, Preaching Today recently uh, there was a researcher who devoted himself to a 50-year study of Christian and non-Christian families. He says that in American culture today, most young adults following Jesus Christ either come from non-Christian homes where they were converted to Christ in their teenage years through a dynamic youth ministry, or they come from homes where they grew up in love with Jesus because mom and dad loved Jesus. They were so in love with Jesus that love just permeated their lives. Here's the thing, though. It said that very few believers come from homes where there was a kind of indifferent, apathetic commitment to Christ. It's it's sobering and it's very thought-provoking to think that in American culture, the chances are better for a child growing up in a non-Christian home 
to become a Christian than for a child growing up in a home where there is indifference and apathy towards Christ. You know, today's text, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, suggests that a love for God should permeate the parent, must permeate the parent. And so the passage we're looking at today comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and I think most of us are pretty familiar with this passage. This is the, this is the core confession of God's people. It's, this is the most important thing for us. This is the most important thing that we can do. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. And so I'd like to suggest that we all pay particular attention this morning. In, uh, in seminary, in Hebrew class, the very first semester, uh, Dr. Week, or Dr. Webster, even from the very first day, began having us recite this passage in Hebrew. And if I'm remembering right, um, it was every single class for, uh, the, well, the two semesters I had, had from him. And here's what, he, here's what he said the first day. I, I dug this up in my notes. He said if the Torah, that's the, that's the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, if the Torah is the foundation of the Old Testament, and if Deuteronomy is the retelling or the epitome of the Torah, and this section of Deuteronomy is the central element of this verse, and it is the central confession, we're going to start with the most important thing. That's what he said that first day. And so we would, we would say this together uh, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And we would go on and recite this in, in Hebrew. Uh, maybe I should have you all say that with me. Nah. Chris and I visited a, a Jewish synagogue. It was, it was a project for a class one Friday evening. And uh, they recited the Shema. This is called... In Hebrew, and I was able to just go right along with them, and I understood every word of it, and it was it was a beautiful thing. So this this passage called the Shema is based on the the first word Shema, Shema Israel. Hear Israel, listen, Israel. In in our English Bibles, it goes like this: Deuteronomy six five through four. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This verse is quoted several times in the the New Testament, in in the Gospels. This is is the great commandment. That's what Jesus called it. This is the uh, the first and foremost imperative that, that God has given us. This is the most important thing. You know, the Shema continues on with instructions on how this should look in practical terms and how we live our lives. And as parents, as mothers, and and we'll include fathers here, but it's Mother's Day. As mothers and, and fathers, we need to pay particular heed to this. Continuing on in verse six, it says, in these words I command you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them on a sign on your hand and 
They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. By the way, you don't have a bulletin insert, but I think you have a blank page there. So let me give you the uh, the outline here. I apologize for that. Here's the gist. I've got three points from this passage. First, there is one God. There is only one God. Second, love him with all. All. Love him with your all. And third, pass this on to your children. We need to keep this alive throughout the generations. So first, God and, and God only. You know, the, uh, the Shema starts out with this Hebrew word, Shema. Hear, listen. It's emphatic. A lot of our translations have an exclamation point after this. Hear, O Israel. Hear. Listen up, God's people. It's important. Drop everything you're doing and listen up. Put everything else aside that you might be thinking about. Turn off the TV. Put your iPhone away. Step away from your computer. Pause any conversation you might be having. Eyes front. Pay close attention. Don't be distracted. This is something I'm going to say, and it's very important. Listen up, he's saying. Then he says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You know, or, or the Lord only, literally, is, is how, it's trans, how it is in the original Hebrew. He's, he's unique. There is no other. There's no one like him. He's holy. Let's get this straight, you know, because we're talking about the one true God. This is the creator God. There is no other. Any false gods, any idols, they're not God. They're, they're imitations. They're frauds. You know, our God is God alone. Let's make sure we understand this right away. Let's be up front with this. There is one God. You know, other people, when this was written, the people that surrounded Israel, the nations had their, their gods. The Egyptians had theirs. The, uh, the people in the surrounding regions and communities had their own gods. But God, the creator God, revealed himself to Abraham. Remember the burning bush? Abraham asked God when, when God said, you know, I'm, I'm sending you to, to Egypt. He said, well, who, who should I say sent me? Do you remember what God said from the burning bush? God said uh, to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, you must say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so that's the English translation uh, in, in Hebrew, we can, we can say Yahweh. Uh, it's, it's a very, it has a very important meaning. It's, it's derived from the verb uh, hayah, which means uh, to be, to be. You know, it has the, the sense of God is the existent one, the one, who's, the one who is, the one who always has been. Uh, commentators uh, variously say that uh, this means I am or I am what I am or I will be what I will be. You know, the idea is that God is sovereignly independent of creation. He's, he's not bound by time. He alone is God and, and there is no other. 
You know, anything else that supplants our love for God is a false god. It's an idol. John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. The human heart is an idol factory. He said, every one of us from his mother's womb is expert in inventing idols. And if you don't think that's true, look around. We see it all over the place. We see people worshiping the, uh, the God of, of self. We see people worshiping the idol of, of wealth and fame and prestige and power and pleasure and beauty. And what else? We could go on and on. Comfort, the God of you name it, fill in the blank. We could spend a whole sermon on that. A million other things that can take God's place in our hearts. You know, the, the Apostle John, for this reason, at, at the very end of his, his first epistle, First John, said, little children, keep yourself from idols. This, this great epistle which talks about love ends with little children, keep yourself from idols. There's something about idolatry which is antithetical to, to love. We need to put aside all of our idols. We need to get rid of things that compete for our affection so that we can love God with our all, uh, our, our entire being. You know, this is our highest priority, to love God with every fiber of our being. You know, this, this kind of love for God is, is life transforming. This is a kind of love that a lot of people don't know. This is a kind of love that I'm afraid uh, probably many Christians don't know fully. This is something we strive for, to love the Lord our God with our everything, everything about us. You know, the way we, the way we think. You know, our, our love for God reach, needs to reach into every nook and cranny of, of our lives. It needs to reach the very, the very core of our being. Our love for God needs to be all-consuming. Uh, when, when Dr. Webster went over this, uh, and this, this is one of the lectures I remember most uh, from my 120 semester hours of seminary. This, I, I think back on this one lecture, and I can just picture it so clearly. He talked about how this, uh, when it was translated into Greek, the, the translators had a, a tough time getting the full meaning of what it was saying. And it's translated many different ways in, in the New Testament because the translators, you know, the, uh, the ones who wrote the epistles were taking this, this Hebrew and saying, how can we put this into this other language, this, this language of Greek, which is really uh, based on a different worldview, a different philosophy. Sometimes, sometimes this uh, is translated with uh, three words, heart, soul, and mind. Sometimes it's four, heart, soul, mind and, and strength. The thing is, uh, you know, in, in each case you get this, this Greek word for, for mind, but it doesn't really appear as such, as such in Hebrew. We'll get into this in a second. 
You know, where does it come from? We need to look into the original language to, to get the full meaning. Uh, this, this is what I love about Hebrew. It's a very rich, a very expressive language. It, 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 for me, it changes the way I, I think. Let's look at the, the first word. The first word is, uh, comes from the root levav. Uh, the, the phrase is bekol levavicha. Uh, th- this word levav is routinely uh, translated in, in English as heart. Heart. You know, when the, when the New, Testament write, New Testament writers were, were putting this into the, uh, the New Testament Greek, they understood, they understood this meant heart and mind. And um, they, the Hebrews didn't split this up. They didn't have the, the Western concept of, and you, you've probably heard this, having you know, heart knowledge and, and mind knowledge. You know, the, the Hebrews saw this as one and the same. They didn't, they didn't uh, bifurcate the heart and, and mind. It's, it's one and the same for them. And so when, they, when the New Testament writers went to translate this into Greek, they, they said, well, what, what are we going to do with this word? Um, you know, some said, let's translate it with two words, heart and mind. So we understand that that they had a difficult time with this. Yeah, we, we need to love the Lord our God with how we think. We need to love the Lord our God with our, our worldview, with our plans, with our mind. Uh, next, Bekol Nashika, love the Lord your God with all your soul. And this comes from the Hebrew word, the root is uh, nefesh, which, which actually means neck or, or throat. You know, the idea is... is Breath, breath. It has it has the sense of being the the seat of our being, our our soul, our our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our our, our very center, our, our soul. You know, it's, it's a very rich word. Our our longings and desires, our very being, needs to be turned to God. The next, the kol meoheka, love the Lord of God with. All your, and this is this is the tough one to translate, because the word ma'ad. When we learn this in our, our Hebrew vocabulary, it means very. You know, literally, it's saying love the Lord your God with all of your very, and that it's hard to make a good English sentence out of that. I like what uh, Dr. Webster said. He gave us a suggestion. He said that he had he has his his family. They're probably grown up by now. He had his family at dinner time recite this at every meal, the, the Shema. And he used his own translation for this. He he had them recite, "Love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your being, and with all your very muchness." With all your very muchness, <laughs> I like that. I love that. Love the Lord your God with everything. You know, it's kind of funny, but, uh, you know, I, I think of that song that we just sang, you know, let let all that is within me bless your, your holy name. Did we just sing that? We sang 10,000 10, reasons. Bless the Lord of my soul. Yes. Let all that was is in with, all that is within me bless your holy name. That's what the point is here.
So there's one God. Love him with every fiber of your being. And finally, my third point is pass this on. Pass this on to your children and, and the next generations. You know, I want to I want to point something out. The Shema starts out, uh, hear, O Israel. He, he's saying, listen up. I'll, I'll, I'll use some uh, southern jargon here. Listen up, y'all. All of you. This is this is corporate. It doesn't say listen or hear each one of you individually. We do need to listen each one of us individually, but this is this has a very corporate sense to it. It's a command to be lived out in, in community. We tend to be a very individualistic society in America. You know, our, our lore praises uh, rugged individualism, you know, the put it, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, think John Wayne. He's, you know, the, the lone cowboy rides into town and deals with the problems all by himself, you know, and then rides off into the sunset by himself, just him and his horse, you know, that's, that's what we, uh, we admire, you know, somebody single-handedly tackling the opposition. Uh, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone, it's a 545-page book, I think, uh, with charts and graphs and very small print. It's a, like a sociological textbook, but the, the title suggests the thesis of the book, which is that we have gone from a society where people bowl in bowling leagues to a society where people go to the bowling alley by themselves and, and bowl. You know, we've, we've become even more individualistic. This book was written... Uh, I think 20 years ago now, 21 years ago, and probably we're more individualistic now than, than we were then. You know, the big problem with this is that we tend to be individualistic with our relationship with God. You know, when, when we think of, of our, our prayer life, what do we think of? You know, most of us will think of our, you know, getting into my prayer closet, just, just me, and, me and Jesus just me and my Bible. And that's good. We need to do that. But, you know, look, look through the book of Acts. Look at what the, the prayer life of the church was then, you know, when the day of Pentecost came. God's people, the church, they were all together in one place, in one accord, praying. And God showed up. The Spirit showed up. God does some amazing things when when God's people come together to pray. You know, another thing I want to point out here is uh, what God is saying here that you know this this intimate relationship, this this all-consuming love that we need to have for Him needs to be alive. It needs to be alive in every single part of our lives. Every single aspect of our life should reflect this intense, passionate love for God. You know, it's it's not normal just to come to church and sing some songs and, you know, hear someone pray and hear somebody speak and go out and forget the Lord the, the, the rest of the week. 
You know, our walk with God needs to be a walk with God where every step, every decision we make, every direction we go is, is in step with, uh, with the Spirit of God. You know, we need to continue on, continue on being in step with Him. We can't be one person in church and another person out, at, out in the world. So, you know, the scripture says we're to, we're to take these, these words here, this commandment, these commandments, and, and write them on our hearts. Write them on our hearts. Look at verse 8. He said, you shall bind them on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. They shall, or you shall uh, bind them to your doorposts and on your gates. What, what is he saying here? I don't think he's saying that we should make these little tiny boxes with, with little scrolls of scripture and, and you know, uh, tie them to our, our, our foreheads and hands and nail them up all over the place. Some people have done that. He's saying, love God in every aspect of your life. Every single thing you do, God should be your love for God. And his word should be right before your eyes, wherever you go, whatever you do. We need to see God in, in every situation that we find ourselves in. We need to see God in, in times when things are good. We need to see God when times are bad. We need to see God when times are easy. We need to see God when times are very, very, very challenging. You know, we can't have different standards in, in work, in church. You know, all, all our work needs to show the, the love and, and uh, demonstrate the love of God and, and demonstrate our love for God. You know, whether, whether we're coming from our houses or going from our houses, we need to be passionately in love with God all the time. So, mothers, and we'll say parents, you know, this, this, this is especially important in the, uh, the context of, of the family. Verse 7, this is so important on Mother's Day, it's so important every day of our lives. You shall teach them diligently to your t- children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That kind of sounds like everything, everything you do whenever your kids are around. This is what you should be talking about. Your kids should have no doubt that you love God. This is telling us that in every context of our lives, we need to exude the love of God. And here this love extends to our our children and through our children, okay? So this is Mother's Day. Let's let's teach our children well. You know, I had this song that was going through my mind this morning. Uh, Graham Nash wrote this of of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Teach your children well. I'm thinking, yeah, right. What 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 were their children observing? You know, a life of drugs and sex and debauchery. You sing singing, teach your children well. Uh, what do our children see in us? You know, people. Let's mothers, fathers. Let's let's teach our children. You know, at home, away from home, sitting, standing, walking. 
They, they need to, what do they need to see in us? They need to see people who love God with, with every ounce of our being. Uh, and in every context, you know, our, our people need, our, our children need to see us as people who are examples of, of godly living, godly behavior, sincere in our love for God, sincere and genuine in our, our love for other people. You know, this is so important. And, oh, guess what? It, this doesn't stop when our children move out. You know, Chris and I at one point thought this empty nest thing we heard about was a myth. We thought it would never happen. But our our youngest son did move out, and, and it's just us. And guess what? We're still parents. We still have responsibility as parents. We still find that we need to pray for our children every day. We need to talk to them and demonstrate the love of God and communicate the gospel, the daily gospel, the daily salvation with our kids. You know, I I love having the technology that we can do this, phones, the internet, you know, there's no no reason not to do this. I remember in, in Ohio, our pastor, I don't even remember what he's preaching about, but I remember he just paused one time. He was talking about, you know, we need to pray for our children. And he goes, I can't imagine why we wouldn't. He just paused like that and then went on in his sermon. Doesn't stop when our kids move out. Our responsibility continues even when they're adults. Uh, We never stop being parents. We never stop being responsible for our children's love for God. You know, when we love God to our, our very core, they're going to see that in us. You know, we have a lot of examples in the Bible of this kind of example in, in parents. Uh, you know, we think of Lois and, and Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and, and mother, uh, who Paul mentions. You know, who are they? Paul says this he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember you and your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. You know, these, these two women whom we know almost nothing about. They're heroes, as far as I'm concerned. They, they had that sincere faith that they passed on to, uh, to Timothy. Uh, uh, it was a faith that dwelled in them. You know, they, they just genuinely adored the Lord. Uh, you know, their, their lives demonstrated that, and, and they passed it on to, to Timothy. You know, their, their influence lived on. The, the flame didn't die out. With them, uh, teach your children. Teach this to your children. This last week, Chris and I went to uh, the funeral of uh, my nephew Logan, who died of leukemia at the age of sixteen. And um, yeah, it just really, it really struck me how my sister Shauna has has dedicated her life to her three boys. You know, making sure that they knew the Lord and that they loved the Lord, and that she. 
set that godly example, you know, that sincere faith that Paul's talking about with uh, Eunice and, and Lois. Um, you know, we're, we're confident that Logan is, is with the Lord. So, you know, my mom, Logan's grandma, taught Shauna. She also taught Logan and Dylan and, and Austin. Uh, her mother, my grandma, taught my mom. She taught us. You know, just just goes back genera- generationally and has gone forward generationally in us. And I, you know, tribute to my wife for, for being a, a godly mom and, and passing this on along with me to, to our children. So parents, you know, we have a challenge ahead of us. I've been uh, reading the book of Judges this week, and I, I ran across this one passage that uh, just gave me pause. <laughs> I had to go back and read this passage. Uh, Joshua 2, 7 through, t- through 12, listen to this. It says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. And all that generation were also gathered to their fathers. Listen to this. Listen to what he says next. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Um, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and, and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods and from among the gods of the peoples who are around them, they bowed down to them. <sighs> let's, let's not let this happen. These, these words are so important. Teach us to your children, you know. Uh, what, would, what would happen to the church if the next generation came up not knowing God, not knowing the things that God has done? Very sobering thought that from one generation to the next, in one generation, that whole generation could could be lost. That is so sad. Um, My hope for this church is the next generation is going to do some amazing works and have some amazing love for God loving him passionately and passing it on to their next generation. Um, you know, people who, who worship God in spirit and in truth and, and who instill this love for God in, in their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. You know, we might see our children stray. Many of us have, have gone through that with our children, but guess what? We never stop being parents. We never give up. We keep praying for our kids. 
We keep giving them that example. We keep telling them about the Lord and the things that he has done, and we pray some more, right? Our church has some great potential. I I look around, and I I see these young people, you know, all those kids who went, went running out. You know, these are... These are the next God lovers. These are the next worshipers and the, the next leaders of, of this church. You know, let's teach them well. And let's know that this is very honorable work. It's a very important pursuit. Let me, let me close with this. Uh, mothers, back to Mother's Day. Let's, let's make a difference. Make a difference. Uh, it, it all starts with you. It starts in the in your innermost being, a, a passionate love for God. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You know, love love Him to your your inner depths. Uh, let that love shine in in every corner of your world. You know, make it a point to let that love overflow and be passed on to your children no matter what their age. Talk to them. Let them see you follow the Lord. Let them see you love the Lord. Pray for them. Keep praying for them. And let's, let's, let's be determined that uh, this current generation will not be the last generation of, of God worshipers and leaders. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I thank you this morning for your love for us. I thank you for all of these mothers that, that I see in this congregation who have not let the flame die, you know, who, who have, have passed and are passing the torch on to, to the next generation and uh, who continue, Lord, to, to serve you faithfully and sincerely. Um, I thank you, Lord, for, for my mother who, who guided me. I thank you for my grandmother who prayed for me every day. I thank you, Lord, for my wife who has been such a godly influence on, on my children. Uh, Lord, be the one, the one God, the one who our mothers love the most, who, who we love the most. You know, be the one that we love with all of our, our mind and, and soul and, and our, our very muchness, <laughs> you know, every, every element of our being, Lord. Just let your love permeate us and let your kingdom come in our families. In Jesus' name, amen.